Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. Whew. What a day. What's up, brother? I feel like my head has been in a spin cycle. The Champions League is not generally a leisurely pursuit at this point. It's very exciting and dramatic. Add in a massive club in a relegation battle, dogfight, and the back and forth. I I feel like I've seen all the games and they've been just inserted into my brain. They've been just like pushed into my mind. I felt like I had whiplash because where I was watching everything going on today, the the two Champions League matches and Everton-Burnley, I was at... ESPN in New York and in a room with three TVs trying to kind of like consume everything at once and it's just it's hard but it was thrilling and just just another average Wednesday in this sport like what other what other sport has given you this kind of drama on just like a random Wednesday it's uh it was unbelievable we'll go through the Champions League action from both Wednesday and Tuesday we will obviously talk about Everton. We have a lot to say oh on on a situation that is now becoming increasingly dire. It's Defcom three. We're there, yeah. How many? This is a five alarmer. I mean, this is calling all cars. Panic stations, um, pulling on your pants and running out of a burning building. No, yeah, that's that's where we're at with this. Uh, so we'll talk about that, and then, as promised. I know some of our Canadian listeners thought for whatever reason that we were joking, uh, but we were not joking, and today we have delivered on that promise. We go in the club, I believe our first ever international version of in the club, and we do so with the victors of CONCACAF. Regional champions. Canada. Is that how it's pronounced? Canada. Ah. Yes. So uh, we will uh, talk with Christian Jack of One Soccer in Canada, a longtime broadcaster who's covered this team and broadcast of games and uh, is is very in on what's been going on with the development of this team and how they've gotten to this point. So it should be a fascinating conversation with Christian. Later I on have so many questions. Yeah, me too, actually. And I'm, I'm looking forward to his insight and get, I really want to go inside exactly what's happened here because they've come from nowhere to somewhere. And I feel as if even some of their supporters are surprised by this, this trajectory. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I'm wondering too, is if Okay, we're we haven't really let's be honest, we're US centric here and, and you know, we pay attention to a lot of the other high profile international teams, but Canada have not been that. So has this been kind of bubbling all along and it's just been kind of out of our view, but people in Canada have seen it, or did this even for them come out of nowhere? I'll be very curious what Christian says. So we'll talk with him in the club a little bit later on in the podcast. But uh where to begin? Where to begin? <laughs> I I wanna start with Everton, but I feel like I, I th- there's a certain level of dignity to I mean, when Real Madrid visits Stamford Bridge in a Champions League quarterfinal, it's and you get that kind of game, you have to start with this. Uh, it, was, it was riveting, riveting stuff. I thought. Oh, it was, it was peak. You know the way people say it about the Premier League that was peak Barclays. Well, this was peak. That's, Champions a, that's, League. that's got a little bit of truth to power for me. Has it peak Barclays? Uh, it's not a thing I would say. No, I wouldn't but say it's that. And I've never of, heard you say it's, that either. It's making, Don't defend it. It's making it's a meme. It's a kind of a joke. Peak it's, Barclays. It's an online thing. Uh, this was this was unbelievable. It was so entertaining and and fun, 
And uh, we saw a 9 out of 10, according to L'Equipe performance. They're very difficult with their grades. We've been over this. Only Dusan Tadic and Lionel Messi get 10s. That's not true. Neymar's gotten a 10. We've, we've gone through the whole list before. Yeah. By the way, I don't have a subscription to Lucas L- Mora, he was a 10. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, Serge Gnabry. I don't have a, I don't have a subscription to L'Equipe, so I can't go through all the scores. But uh, it's a 9. For Kareem Benzema. And a thoroughly deserved night. Absolutely. What a player. And he was just one golden opportunity missed away from what surely I would think would have been a 10 out of 10. Uh, Historic win for Real Madrid, JJ. They defeat Chelsea for the first time in club history. Real Madrid had never beaten Chelsea. Six games against them. Chelsea had been the team that Real Madrid had faced the most without a win in the history of Real Madrid. But they would only have started facing them since 2005, really. I would think. Yeah, six games. Yeah, so, so definitely. So this is this is a kind of a new money stat. This is since Chelsea were... Yeah, still surprising. It's, it's, uh, it's significant, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Real Madrid have been great for a long time. So so have Chelsea, but still surprising that this would have been their first win against them in six, in six tries. Rough few days at the bridge. Rough few days at the bridge. First Brentford, now Benzema. Can, this is this is Chelsea JJ conceding three or more goals in consecutive home matches for the first time in ten years. Wow, nine and a half years, October of 2012. That's yeah. I mean, that's and 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 if we were, you know, if you're hanging your hat on anything about Tuchel's Chelsea, it's that they're they don't do this. They're measly at the back. This is it, for all the times that we've sat here and talked about Chelsea and complained about, you know, I wish they would do more in attack. <laughs> They're so capable, but no, no, this is how they want to do it. They want to be difficult to break down. When that wall bursts, then now what? Root. When, when Brentford are putting four past you, and, and I mean, it's Real Madrid, but it's still a game at Stamford Bridge where you would expect Chelsea to not lose 3-1. You know, you know I mean... And also, I think, uh, I think Real Madrid... If we're being honest, first of all, Chelsea are the defending champions and Real Madrid are going to win La Liga. But we haven't really thought of them as... I wouldn't I wouldn't say, looking at the two teams, I think you know Real Madrid are a better side. Real Madrid are an older side. They're I, an I, experienced side. I, I, they I, are, they're better than Chelsea. They're better than Chelsea. I don't, I don't believe that to be... I mean, they just beat them three-one in the Champions League in London. Yeah, like, but, what but, else? But, but we're going to win La Liga but, at a at a coast. Yeah, I think Chelsea just lost four-one to Brentford. Yeah, but can I, I? This is all just what's just what's happened right now is is in your brain. Cast your mind back to halftime of the second leg between Real Madrid and PSG. Think about Real Madrid and what you thought of them By the way, PSG, then. also really good. Real Madrid knocked them out of the no, Champions League. Collab- they collapsed. There's there's something about PSG and Chelsea that has made has given this um, this this Real Madrid side an injection of youth and running and like tonight at times, Real Madrid looked like Barcelona looked against them in El Clasico. There were moments where they're just running through, and you see Danny, um, Danny Carvajal found himself, you know, in the opposition box, and mm-hmm. I just thought, who is this team? They're really good. But I'm again, I'm not saying that. I didn't think che- they were that much better than Chelsea going into this tie. You're you're saying this like this was the expected result? No, 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 no. That no. is, not, I didn't say that. that but is, I, but I'm saying that look, if Chelsea and Real Madrid 
We're both in the in the Premier League. I'm picking Real Madrid to finish above Chelsea. By the way, Chelsea I'm not, are now, I'm not doing that. Tottenham is is now almost within reaching distance of catching Chelsea. I think they're five points back. Yeah. I mean, they're not, no, they're not tearing no, things yeah, up. Yeah, Chelsea have had this kind of this slump for sure. But I don't think we thought we would have thought any of this at the start of the season. I really don't, and certainly not, certainly not at the end of of the Champions League final last year. The organisation in that Chelsea defence has kind of fallen apart a little bit. I mean, Thiago Silva, I can pick out the mistakes. That he made. Hey, come on! He's thirty-seven. He just got back from Brazil. Relax <laughs> on him. At the weekend, I can pick those mistakes out. Tonight, I thought the the central central defense, which at one point was three at the back, I believe. Yeah, it was Christensen, Silva, and Rudiger. I mean, the second goal in particular. How do you how do you let Benzema just ghost in there? Like that can't happen. And he was in full view of Christensen. He was across the shoulder of Kante. Um, the the surety we had about them as a defense has, has fallen apart. That's yeah. their collapse. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's uh, we can still talk about Chelsea, obviously, but I, I really want to talk about Kareem Benzema. This is what we're witnessing right now is is a phenomenal player who has had to wait his turn, who is embracing the moment, and it's a joy to watch. Can I ask you something? Sure. Just outside of before we go get into the goals, which me and you couldn't pick which one of the headers we preferred. Oh, it's such a tough call. They're so, they're both so great in such completely different ways. The velocity of a header from like 15 yards out like that is really you don't see that very but often. But the but the almost jump shot fade on the I other know, one. I know. Oh wow. Um, going backwards, going, like falling back. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I think he looks. I I don't think I've ever seen him look as fit. I want to know who he's working with. I think he's thinner than he's ever been. He looks. He looks in magnificent shape. He, uh, that's what struck me tonight when the, when the rain, Andrew, the moisture was on those jerseys and it was gripping the, thor- the torso. It was, you know, it was... And after he did what he did, there was, there was a sensuality to the football. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting weird. But it's, he looks great. He looks fantastic. And he's one of those players we've talked about before who's in this group of over 30s that are just... They're defying what a lot of the sabermetrics guys in soccer's were te- in soccer would tell owners like sell now, get rid now while you can because they're in decline. He is, he's peaking. In I, I saw Miguel Delaney tweet about him, uh, trying to pick out other players who later in their careers are even better than they were earlier on. That's a great question. Mm. Um, he mentioned Xavi. He said that Xavi was a really good solid player, and towards the end of his twenties kind of became like like truly great. Okay. Yeah, that's not bad. Um I'd have to really think about the late flourish. I mean, there's guys who just kept going. I think that's different. Like Rui Costa, like Ronaldo. Rui Costa was really good into his well into his 30s. He seemed to be at a club at you know, he could always find a game for someone forever. He was that good. Um I people tweet Zlatan Ibrahimovic but I mean, he was, he kind of just kept going, yeah. kept doing his things. I'm talking about a guy that was, oh, he's pretty good, he's pretty good. But then and who then, peaked? Well, again, it's what we talk about with Benzema is that he, he probably always could have been this. By the way, like... It's not like he was bad <laughs> earlier. Yeah, he's kind of somebody that you could say just kind of kept going too. He was very good in his 20s. He just, yeah. he for what 
Well, he was, he in, was the in the shadow, shadow of yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, but if you go back and look at, I mean, while you're talking, I'll try to go back and pull up some of his statistics from previous years. You, you might be surprised by how great he was. But now, because he's the one leading this team, uh, there's there's just a different kind of spotlight on him, and he's just so fun to watch. Um, and you know, the the other thing too. Uh, so I believe the statistic. I, I got to double check, but I think he's the fourth player with to now have scored 80 or more Champions League goals. Um, but with him, only one, I think he's at 82 now, only one of them are from the penalty spot. None of the other guys ahead of him can really say that. Now, look, Ronaldo and Messi have insane numbers of yeah. goals, so whatever. But, like, that's he's never been the guy to take penalties for Real Madrid, but he's still put up unbelievable numbers from open play. He's And he's dangerous in the air. He's dangerous with the ball at his feet. He's a complete player, and he's, like we said, he's he's 34, oldest player, breaking his own record now of the oldest player to record a hat-trick in the Champions League, which he had just done previously in the last round. I think if I'm being... If if I'm going to use a baseball parlance, up until now, he's been kind of like a compiler. <laughs> that's that's not even fair. No, I, I, he's not a compiler to he's me. He's better than that, right? He's not a compiler to me. If he, yeah, and it, now he's bursting out of of compilership and is turning into this. Maybe he was always just great, Andrew, and because of what he's been surrounded with, we've kind of ignored it a little I'll, bit. I'll and say also this. his his exile. We've said it before. His exile from from the French national team. We'll we'll have to see what happens the rest of the season. How far Real Madrid go if they do in fact finish off Chelsea in the second leg? If if they keep going, you know, we'll see how that plays out. They're, like we said, they're going to win La Liga. We'll see what happens at the World Cup. He's got a shot at Ballon d'Or. At age 34. That's that's pretty cool. That is amazing. Um, He's, the world, it could hinge on what he does in, in Qatar. Let's talk about our, about the headers. Pick your header. So, oh man. I think the, I think there was something, there was a suddenness to the first one that I think kind of. And it was a little bit behind him, the cross. He had to go back a bit for it with his it head. It was a pretty good cross. It's a good he cross. He didn't have to it's go from back your that boy, far. Vinicius. What a player he is, too. They're, they're really a fun team to watch. Uh, perfect ball in from Vinicius. And uh, just a header from that far out um, to beat the keeper and so in that high. way. Yeah, I mean... It, Roof of the net stuff. Just perfectly placed. And like you said, the second one, too. You know, we can talk about Vinicius's ball in the first. Mudrich's ball in the second was probably even better. Um, more delicate and just again the placement on the second header, like you said, fading away uh, between defenders. That's my one, the second one. I love it because he has to go backwards for it a little bit, generate the power, get it just right to beat Mendy. That one, I I shrieked. There was a, it was a it was the Gary Neville goalgasm. Oh, unbelievable! Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you you know what I mean when I say, just to clarify a little bit, if if you look at like Alaba, Carvajal, Modric, Casemiro, Cruz, Benzema, these are elder statesmen. There's no point saying it otherwise, but they get this, this energy and rejuvenation in the Champions League lately that's... Is it the aura of the white shirt? Is it the aura of Real Madrid? Because we've seen it in the past where... They looked like they were going out of the competition. Next thing, they're in the final and they're winning it. 
You know, I, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. No, Chelsea definitely contributed to their downfall. Mm-hmm. They get the goal back through Havertz. It's a brilliant ball from Jorginho to whip it into the back post. Havertz scores. They're back in it, especially in the considering there's no way goals now. You, you always have to keep that in mind. Right. And 46 seconds into the second half, there is just a what would you call it? A complete, oh, a horrifying blunder, bungle from Mendy. Yeah, and it, it, there was no cause for it. Benzema closes it down. Not the first time we've seen him capitalize on a goalkeeping bungle. I seen it live, Kiev. Sometimes at night, I still see it. <laughs> but it was um, closes him down. I, I think Rudiger could have done better instead of going with his left foot. He could have whipped around with his right, but he's on a yellow, so he's concerned. And yeah, that, at first I kind of. Not fought you on that, but thought, ah, he's on that yellow, and if he if he goes in harder, he's probably getting himself sent off. I watched it again. I think he. I think you're right. I think he could have done better as well. I Look, did. it's on Mendy. Oh yeah, but Rudiger was a was a party to it, and I think we were expecting a, you know, three one Chelsea would just throw the sink, and and try and have it just that one goal, bring it back to that one goal deficit at least going going back to Madrid. Mm-hmm. But they didn't really, they didn't really carve Real Madrid open. Slavin Bilic was talking after the game on Paramount, Andrew, and he was praising Ancelotti. And what he said was, "You saw everything from Real Madrid. You saw the counterattacking. You saw the pacey attacks. Then you saw a mid-block midfield. Then you saw a low block like an English team defending. They did everything tonight, mm-hmm. and they they thoroughly deserved." A 3-1 win but Chelsea had that moment that one clear cut moment not talking about Azpilicueta's shot which was well saved not talking about Mason Mount's curler Lukaku the header he scores that it's a different game and now even Thomas Tuchel feels this tie is over yeah that was a bad moment for Lukaku in a season where he could have really <laughs> in used it a season of no good moments in a really. season where he really could have used it I mean you're you found yourself Alone, six yards out, free header, and he puts it wide, not even on frame. Yeah, kind of becoming the story of his season. Um, By the way, so this player, Benzema, that has quote-unquote flown under the radar (laughs) until until turning 34, can I just quickly give you some of his seasons? These are not Champions League. This is strictly domestically in La Liga. Okay. Um, I won't give you the years. I'll just give you the numbers. 21 goals, 8 assists. 11 goals, 12 assists. 17 goals, 8 assists. 15 and 11, 24 and 7, 21 and 6, 21 and 8, 23 and 9, and then this year he's at 24 and 11. So he could, he'll probably get to 30 goals this season. So this will be his best season, but lots of seasons in the 20s, lots of seasons right around 10 plus assists. He's, this didn't happen overnight. No. <laughs> Is, apart from the, you know, the whole stuff. With France, which definitely affected his and will affect his legacy a little bit, you know, prime years taken away because of, well, that the controversy. By the way, his own doing, like no, oh, this is not a, a Benzema pity party. No, but put that to the side. Is he a victim of the obsession and the crazy numbers of Cristiano Ronaldo from a legacy perspective, and and also in the league, being in the same league as Lionel Messi? Of course, he is. Yeah. Of course he is. JJ, and also, this is... also our our narrow focus on those two characters in the media. JJ, are we to blame? Th- this is a generational talent that we're talking about in Kareem Benzema. Whatever the expectations were when he was coming from, where was it, Lyon? Lyon. He's he surpassed them. But you're right. 
it was all in the shadow of of greatness on a level that we've almost never seen before. So, yeah, I mean, I guess some of that, that's that's it. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree. Uh, that is what we're talking about. So three one. Oh, Chelsea really could have used that second. I I don't feel good for them going back to the Bernabeu needing two just to get this to extra time. Um, but stranger things have certainly happened. We've seen it in this tournament. Um, when teams are desperate, then you never quite know. So, And by the way, Real Madrid, again, Benzema didn't play, but they only just lost 4-0, got torn to shreds by Barcelona. So if I'm, if I'm Tuchel, I'm pulling out that tape and saying this, this can be done to them. This, yeah, I suppose Benzema wasn't there. Madras was played completely out of position. They had three different formations in that game. I, I'm wondering if we need to review somewhat, even if I need to, because I was on, on Twitter um, talking about that pumping that they gave Barcelona today, and I was reminded by our listeners that there were mitigating circumstances. It's true. But even still... Shouldn't have, shouldn't have looked like that. It shouldn't have looked like that. But every ch- Just because you're having a bad day at the office shouldn't mean you get absolutely destroyed and that every opportunity, every... Every ball that goes forward is practically a chance. I mean, right. It was 4-0, and we were critical it of was Barcelona. A, it was embarrassing. It should have been, should have been it sh- 9. It should have been 10-0 is what it should have been. This is, what, by the way, what's coming up right now, guys, is one of our, our, our stranger pivots in the history of the podcast. We move now from the Champions League to the Premier League relegation battle. <laughs> to turf more. We'll get back to the other three Champions League matches in the second part of the show, but we just kind of thought that the situation at Everton had now risen to a level where it warranted... Uh, first segment status, even on a Champions League midweek episode. Good Lord. So, Jesus Christ. I feel like I have some egg on my face a little bit because I said the other day, nah, I'm still not, I'm still not seeing it. And if I was going to sit here and, and bet money, I think I... S- I think I still would bet. I've seen the numbers, the SPI percentages. They they have Everton going down. Well, um, um, but I, I Paul still Carr think... tweeted them. Let's let's give them out then. It's okay. they have Everton right now. The SPI has Everton um, in the bottom three, forty nine percent to go down. Watford eighty three percent to go down, and ninety nine percent for Norwich. And what is Burnley? Thirty seven percent. And Everton is 49% to go down. Yes. That's significant. That is. That's a big difference. I still think I'm going to I'm gonna go with Everton, although it's now just one point. They're cushioned between them and Burnley. They're on the same number of matches played, and Burnley have a superior goal difference by three goals. So uh, it's, it's frightening. Four of Everton's final nine games are against top six opposition. That is also frightening. Um like this is this is real now in a way that even a few days ago it didn't feel quite so real to me and i just wonder part of it is my own fault and i'm sure a lot of people are like this where i think if you took this team and put them in you know Norwich city kits i'd say yeah that team that team could go down that's there's nothing special about that. Yeah, Richarlison, he's good. He'll probably be playing somewhere else next year. Sometimes good, horrible teams have a good player, and uh, you know, so be it. Sure. Th- that's kind of that's sort of now what I'm seeing. It's like a like an, an awakening is happening, and I'm understanding now that oh wait, stop stop thinking of the Everton that you know. This is not this is not that Everton. They're gone now. <laughs> I mean, look, I got a lot of friends that love this team. 
and I feel bad for them because yeah. this is this could happen, and I'm sure you know. Let's do a quick comparison. They here. they go into every year thinking that they should be battling for with West Ham. If West Ham can battle for a Champions League place, if Leicester City can battle for a Champions League place, we're Everton. Why can't we? And they're at the bottom end of this table after spending cartloads of money truckloads of money over the last few years. It's like you can't say Marshiri didn't pump money into the project. So I have the statistic for you, which makes it even more horrifying. Uh, this was from uh, the journalist uh, Ryan Taylor in England. He tweeted, Everton have the sixth highest wage bill in the Premier League, worth an estimated $71.5 million per season. For context, Spurs are worth around $55 million, Burnley $32.5 million, yet the board have assembled a team that cannot even do the very basics. Bundles of cash wasted on utter dross. It's it's har- it's truly horrifying. No cohesion, nothing. Whether that be on the field or perhaps more importantly, one manager, up, goodbye, let's bring in the next one. You're up, ne- oh, no good. Bye, next, come on down. Just bad decision making at all levels. Like when we did our Everton in the club, an owner who's listening to all the wrong people mm. and is now paying for it, both financially and in terms of the product that he's putting out there. Uh, this is, I would say, I mean, look, you can talk about some of the Newcastle disasters. This, for me, is one of the great Premier League disasters of the last 20 years. We're Almost on... regardless of what the final oh, really? yeah. result oh, okay. is. Okay, right. Because we're on the precipice. We're not quite over the precipice yet. I think. I mean, look, if they in these final nine, if they kick on and you know, two months from now we're sitting here saying, oh, remember when we were worried about Everton? The silly us. But it's hard to envision that right now. As we sit here right now, this is a disaster almost unlike any I've seen. Moshiri's Everton is still not Ridsdale's leads for me. Okay. I mean, two almost... Two and a half, maybe three years after being in a Champions League semi final, they were relegated from the Premier League and then spent 20 Right, but that, that was what year? That was 90. They went down in 03 or 04. Okay. At the end of. So that does fit into that 20 year window that I'm talking about. So yeah. maybe I should say the last 15 years. Because yeah. you're right, Leeds would probably take it. Yeah. Uh, the, it, it, it truly is horrifying. And you wonder about the decision to, to sack Rafa Benitez. Maybe that had to happen, but why did it have to be Frank Lampard to come in? I mean, what what tangible improvement have we seen in the team since Lampard took over? Nothing. I mean, it's got worse. Yeah, improvement. There's not nothing. But but the decision, Andrew. What what was the what was the thought process behind it? Who was driving? Uh, who was in Mushiri's ear saying this is the guy who can handle this? Now, I honestly believe that neither the Everton board, the playing staff, the coaches really believed that they were in a relegation battle when they appointed Lampard. I think you're right. Because otherwise they wouldn't have done it. I think you're right. Um, For those who didn't see it, here is what the winner sounded like from Max Cornet of Burnley. It would have been just a punt upfield has moved Burnley en masse forward. Another mistake this time by Godfrey. Vitra pulls it back to Brutal. The mistake from Godfrey. Oh, it, it's not even a good cross. He's got all the options. He's got a guy he could miss kick it to. It goes to the one place it can't go to, and he finds that that Burnley player. Cuts it back. Goal. 
it's a comedy reel now. They are a clown show the way they're conceding now. How do how do they reverse this? I I don't know. I actually found myself in that moment really feeling sorry for Ben Godfrey. I I it's it's a routine clearance. No, you're right. All the more reason that I feel sorry for him. You saw him when the ball he was he, just flat on his back. And he put his head down cuz he knows what it what that might mean. He a lot's going to happen between now and the end of the season, but as we sit here right now, that like the burden of today is going to fall on him. And uh, the the players kind of reacted with the gravity of the situation. The manager they they did this kind of they they clapped the the fans, but they didn't really go close to the away. You know where the away end is at Burnley. Mm-hmm. They kind of <laughs> did as as far away a clap as they could possibly do for this. Yeah. Um, it was. I think I think we should hear from a, a listener who is an Everton supporter who's not one of your friends. Okay. Uh, just not that they don't matter, but they they do get a lot of airtime. Poor old Doug. I'm thinking to Doug right now. I don't want to consider the place he's in with this team. Jacob, horrific result for Everton. No questions. Just feel like venting a bit. When Lampard was first brought on, I was cautiously optimistic. I chuckled along at the jabs you guys gave him in the first pod after the announcement of his hiring, but still had hoped that he could find something in this group of players. I thought he couldn't be as bad as Rafa, right? But man, it's tough to defend him now. Frank's attitude and lack of claiming responsibility is really starting to rub me the wrong way. I'm sure it is rubbing off on the players, as you guys have mentioned on the pod. It is also the second match in a row that he's not used three substitutes. Only one against West Ham and two tonight. Mm-hmm. And again, not using January signings, Delhi or El Ghazi. Why is El Ghazi at the club? How did El Ghazi end up there? Was he part of the deal? He came from Villa and then Dina went the other way? I mean, what is this? His decision making is puzzling. The quality is non-existent and the morale, morale is at an all-time low. Everton are surely going down and it seems supporters are now starting to accept it as an in- inevitability. Sad day for Evertonians. They're not surely going down. No. But allow me to soothe you with their run-in. It begins at home to Manchester United, which <laughs> uh, I feel as if they have to win it now. <laughs> at home to Everton... Away to Liverpool. Wait, wait, what's the second one? Uh, Le- sorry, Leicester. Okay. Leicester at home. Uh, then at home to Chelsea, Leicester away, Watford away, Brentford at home, Palace at home, and they finish Arsenal away on May 27th. What are those two Leicester ones in, in three weeks? Um, I guess they're rescheduled. Okay. Um, God, it's... Now, the only thing for me is... Watford and Burnley. I I actually like watching Burnley tonight. At times, it it was some rudimentary stuff. Like Dyche will come out of it, and he was suitably kind of smug, really. Or well, here he is. Yeah, go on. Dyche spoke afterwards um, about the challenge of of staying strong mentally when things are going wrong around you. But he he talks about Everton in this. Listen closely because it's a little bit tough to hear him at times but try to listen closely to this the mentality is hard you know I've been down there I know what it's like you know every season's been there's been tough patches for us um, and sometimes you kind of it's hard to explain but you kind of sense that the team might have lost out to win a game and I said to him oh, sometimes I'm not sure these know how to win a game lads you know away from home particularly 
So I said, we've got to play on that. We've got to play on that mentality. We do it by playing forwards. We do it by playing forwards with better quality um, and by being a more aggressive in our, in our play, if you like. Uh, passing. I don't mean physically, but our passing play and trying to get into the front area of the pitch. It wasn't glorious, by the way, but there was patches and enough patches where we found three goals, and I'm pleased with that. I mean, if anyone didn't hear that, he said, I don't believe... He told his team at halftime, I don't think these know how to win a game, lads. Meaning... Everton don't know how to win a game. It's not glorious. Huffing the ball forward to Veghorst is a big part of what they do. <laughs> win the second ball and play from there. And I'm not I'm not slagging it off. They got three goals tonight. They needed that win. But I think the hope for Everton fans is that Burnley might not have a, a ton of points left. Watford, I don't think they do either. Maybe Roy can do something special. He certainly looked sprightly in training today. Did you see the video that was put out? No. Uh, Roy Hodgson just clipping a pass. Beautiful cross in in training for an assist. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Um, but yeah, it's it's just so grim for Everton right now. I've been wondering about something. Go on. So we're sitting here, we're talking a lot about Lampard. It's not working. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know it's embarrassing to have to do this multiple times in a season. Say the words. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And I'm wondering now if Commissioner Gordon is walking up to the roof, he's flicking on the switch, the bat signal is going up, JJ. The Allardyce Big Sam bat signal To bring him back to do what he did before Which is well, I mean look I mean it, it, was mu- it, it was much less dire the last time around It sounds Everyone will, will mock this I understand that But here's the only thing I would say to you Okay relegation is real now For this team It's real mm. If if you were in some kind of dire situation, JJ, in any in any realm of life, something really bad was on the verge of happening to you. And there was a guy out there who existed who specialized in preventing that thing from happening. Except at West Brom. Go on. <laughs> but generally speaking, there was a person whose expertise in life was preventing that thing from happening. <laughs> Wouldn't you then be like uh, all right, ego be damned, I'll make the phone call. Bring him in, the fixer. Get him in here. This is what he does. This is his line of work, all right? <laughs> when you have a raccoon scurrying around in your, your attic, all right, you call the specialist to bring him in and fix it. This is what he does. <laughs> People can make fun of it all they want. I know the jokes, uh, but desperate times, my friend. Desperate times call for pints of wine. <laughs> um, so, and then you reass- I'm not saying this is the future, but just get to the finish line, however it needs to be done, and okay. then you reassess at the end of the year. Okay, this is not, and it serves all parties. By the way, he's trying to rehab his image. This is not Pew Research Center, you know, stuff. But Stan Collymore uh-huh. tweeted that very question out to his sizable following. And the Everton fans chimed about in. Big Sam. About not specifically about Big Sam. Okay. About sacking Lampard. I mean, my big question was always, who would you bring in? You said Big Sam. I, I, I guess. 
He knows the club. <laughs> um, and there's 27 points to be played for. But anyway, I looked in the replies. Generally, Everton fans don't want to sack the manager now because they've sacked so many managers before. But I think this would be a different kind of sacking. This would be a mercy sacking. And also a sacking to save... Well, it's writing... This sacking is different because I feel like this one is writing a wrong. Like some of their other managers that have been sacked, like should Marco Silva... Were they quick to pull that trigger? Maybe. You know, like... But we kind of said then that what had Lampard... This team was in bad shape even then. What had Lampard done up to that point as a manager to make you think he was the right guy to salvage the situation. It was a it was a mistake then. Yeah. So But remember when I said to Greg O'Keefe, I asked him, did it feel like the mid nineties relegation battles? Did it feel like ninety three, ninety four, or ninety seven, ninety eight? He said he didn't. Mm. It didn't feel like that. Or yeah. it isn't like Maybe that. Maybe we're yet. doing revisionist history. But now it is. Well yeah, certainly now it is. Now. It is. Yeah. But not you know, twenty seven points. Albeit against your Chelsea's your Arsenal's, your Leicester's, your Liverpool's, your United's. It's not great. Burnley's run-in, just I'll pick them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go through all the run-ins. Now give me all of Norwich's remaining games. <laughs> but Burnley have Norwich away. They have West Ham away. They have Southampton at home. They have they entertain Wolves. They are away to Watford. They, they have Villa at home. They have Tottenham away. They Villa away, and then they finish with Newcastle at home. I mean, look so, when, when you're when you're 18th, nothing's easy, but it's a hell of a lot easier than what Everton have. Yeah, I just don't think they're any good either. I wonder will ineptitude by others save? Well, that's what they've Everton. been. That's what Everton have been, re, have been relying on. Now Lampard spoke as well. We should um, mention that, and he talked about the only way I know out of anything is to work hard, and to work hard out in the field, and to go to training and prepare. That's basically what he said. Uh, I, well, what it's else? better than what he had been saying recently. Yeah, I, I I should also roll back on what I said on Monday's pod, which is that he questioned their character. The quote that I read was incomplete, where he was saying, you know, I worry about character now, but he went on to say, I know with this group, that's not something that concerns me. So he was actually rowing back from everything he else he said, because I think... The, the whole comment about do they have the bollocks, you'd have to ask the players, all that stuff. I think someone said to him, this is not working and you need to you need to pull back a little bit. So I got that quote wrong on Monday. I apologize to Frank Lampard, uh, but I think he's probably got bigger fish to fry. You never know. You never know. Yeah. You did bother him that one day in the NYCFC dressing room, so he's probably always held a grudge. No, and, and, and he, he, he's one of the more accommodating people that I've met in MLS who's been a superstar and come over. Like Tim Howard. I remember Tim Howard coming out. Now, they had just shipped four goals, and Lampard had scored at, at, uh, for Colorado at NYCFC. And Howard didn't want to even look at me. I mean, it was... It's just the contempt he has. I should say, I mean, look, he's a Chelsea guy, so he'll never go down as one of my favorite players. But, like, I, I do generally like Frank Lampard. You know, in the moments that we've gotten to see him when he's been on TV. Yeah. Um, I do think he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Um, with something we haven't spoken about with Lampard is the, which we're seeing much less of now, is the, the, ju- the juxtaposition that goes on when he is interviewed Jovial or a press conference or anything, jovial comment, jovial comment, and then he hits the serious button really right. quickly. And this has become a huge meme now. 
So uh, allow me to demonstrate. I'm Frank Lampard. You ask me a question. Let's go. This is how it works. Uh, Frank, relegation feels like it's a, a potential reality now. What are, what are your thoughts on how this is going? Well, you know, uh, I think it's been a reality for a while. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I suppose, uh, you know, reality bites now. No, no but seriously, <laughs> we are going down. That's very good. <laughs> That's very good. Right. So it's, it's, it's something like that. We haven't yeah. spoken about it on the pod at all. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I've no, I've no axe to grind with him. I've always said I, I wasn't really comfortable with the way he got the Derby job. <laughs> never mind the Chelsea job, and never mind the Everton job. Yeah. This feels like the privilege of being a great player, and the privilege of having an uncle who will call the owner of Derby to say you should give him a shot. That is my concern with old Frankie. Light the bat signal. He's a silent guardian. A watchful protector. Sam Allardyce. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing. He's a watchful protector. Yeah, a watchful protector. Let's, uh, I'll tell you what, let's, let's, let's compose ourselves. We'll grab a quick pint of wine. And relax. We have a lot to do still on the other side. There's three other Champions League matches that were all compelling in their own ways that we still have to get to. Uh, a couple other quick Premier League things. You took me to task the other day about something when the podcast started. You made up a story that I was pro biennial World Cup. I couldn't possibly have been more clear in the past, but whatever. <laughs> I have something to take you to task that I'm sure you're going to tear into me for and really fight back. But, all right. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll and see we've, got and then we've got Christian Jack on Canada. Jack. We have an in-the-club Canadian style with Christian Jack. Uh, so there's still there's still a lot to do here in the second part of this podcast. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on caught offside. JJ more Champions League action. Oof. Where to go next? I'd like to go to Manchester, where oh. City edged. Atletico Madrid 1-0, JJ. And a couple of funny things that came out of this one for me. Um, Tom Rennie had a, a tweet that I thought was funny about this game. What was that? He says, Atletico wouldn't step on the Man City crest out of respect, but then spent the next 90 minutes diving, pretending to be injured, and kicking old sexy calves. Funny old game. <laughs> <laughs> old sexy calves has got a massive contract with Gucci. Seven figures. Is that right? Jack Grealish. Yeah, the rumors are it's going to be announced soon. I mean, has, I could see that. I think he's a good-looking man. Yeah. Um, I do think his voice, maybe the way he conducts himself in interviews, would belie that. It's going to be all photos, guys. <laughs> it's not going to be many. The only interview, like it's so it's it's so unfortunate for him because I do I've heard that he is like a a real like almost soccer not historian but he like really loves and breathes the game. I know what you're going to say. But the only interview, it, it just left such an impression on me when when he was completely befuddled as to what an encyclopedia was. Yeah, we did this. We we covered this in depth on our summer podcast. Oh, what was that? It was What's such that? a hey, no, I, we, childlike heard, wonderment. Yeah, she, the interviewer, she goes, I heard you're an encyclopedia right, of right. football. A what? What's that? An encyclopedia, yeah. And he hadn't a clue. Not a, not a clue. But yeah, yeah Sexy Cavs. Um, do you know what I noticed last night? And I'm guilty of it, and I'm sure maybe you've been guilty of it too. Man, uh, I was talking back and forth with a Manchester City fan and I said, what a first half by Atleti. 
which it was. They completely stifled United. They played the <laughs> the five five, the bank, the two banks of five, or however. It's, I mean, it's it's like the it's like a, a military defence, you know. And they completely shut them down. And I just said that was great, and the response was. If you were to take two people who are not fans of soccer and showed them that, they'd never watch another game. But, like, and I, I speak for Liverpool and City fans, just so I don't annoy people. Get over yourselves. What do you want this team to do? This team may be expensively assembled, all right, may have an expensive manager, but they're not as good as City. There are few teams as good as the elite English teams. So they're going to play that way. What would you like them to do? Do what Watford did in the cup final against City and roll over and have their bellies tickled? They're going to play like this. It's all part of it. It's all part of the pageantry. As Jamie Carragher pointed out, there was a time when English teams played like that abroad. By the way, who is still surprised by this? I know. How many years must this man be the manager of that club before you understand that this is how they play? Right. And by the way, it's worked Brilliantly for And them. last night could be put down. I think I think uh, Atleti had none of the punch when they did turn the ball over or get even a sniff of the ball that was necessary to hurt City. And ultimately, they lost the game 1-0 because City were better and City consistently played their football and also introduced Foden, which made a huge difference combining with De Bruyne for the goal. But um, it's a relative success. I think Simeone will be walking out of the Eastlands because I will, I'll call it the Eastlands. I, I might even call it Main Road. I've forgotten the proper name for it. But they walked out of the city of Manchester Stadium. <laughs> and and they he would have been happy with that. He would have been happy with that result. This so, was a... Because it keeps it alive. It keeps it alive. I still think City will go through. I still think City are the better side. They're, they're the better team. Yeah. But... But you're right, on a different night, maybe if they play differently, maybe it's 3-0 and there's no hope for the second leg. He, Simeone has, has gone back, he's going back to Madrid, and his team certainly have a chance. They absolutely have a chance. Um, one other stat, a stat came out of this where, if I didn't tell you the two teams who were playing, and all I said to you, JJ, was uh, Team A completed over four times as many passes as Team B in the first 30 minutes, 244 to 56. <laughs> You would probably right away say, oh, Man City were probably playing Atletico Madrid. Man like, City were playing uh, Martin O'Neill era Ireland, <laughs> you know, where we, we'd finish a game with 105 passes. Yay! Yeah. You know? God. So I, I was going to ask you, you, you went to it, and ultimately my answer is the same as yours, but the idea of whether or not Atletico Madrid would be pleased with this result. Um, and the only reason it is a question to me is another thing that you touched on there. According to Opta, JJ, Atletico Madrid failed to attempt a single shot in a game in all competitions for the first time under Diego Simeone. Like, I don't, I know he wants to play a certain way, but I think even by his standards, this is a bit extreme. I think he would like to at least be able, like, yeah. people get frustrated with them because, like, like when Portugal were playing France, in Euro, we always go back to that game as a team that just set up, defend, defend, defend. Ronaldo got hurt in early in that game. Smash and grab. France are were, were brilliant. Like It's kind of like, if we're going to have any chance to compete with them, this is what we have to do. Atletico Madrid have gifted attacking players, and they kind of choose to harness them. Now, again, you can't criticize it because it has worked. So... 
like if if this was failing uh, in some horrible way and they weren't qualifying for Champions Leagues or they were going out in group stages, then we could have another conversation. But here they are in the quarterfinals. They're going back to Madrid and they're only down one goal to a team that we probably look at as being the best in the world right now. Yeah. Uh, now, I will freely admit I don't watch enough of Atleti, um, but I read a lot about them. And there has been a sense that Simeone is moving this side away from that kind of really, really dark negative stuff, certainly in league play. Mm-hmm. And that this transition's been awkward. They haven't always been defensively good this season, you know, in La Liga. And that he is trying to bring it into a, a next phase. But he's not doing that against Manchester City. Right. We are going back to the old school. We're going to go even more, even more regressive than before. And that's what that's what played out last night. Um half time though. Half time. Maybe Maybe something magical happens at the Wanda and they, they open up and they play the football we all knew they could. And it's like this moment where Simeone steps into his next life as a expansive, free-flowing, attacking football coach. Well, I'll say this. It will be, for whatever people thought of the first leg, and if you if you were horrified by it, again, you shouldn't be surprised, but I understand. I understand if you chose to watch Liverpool instead. I, I get that. Um, but the second leg should be interesting because they got to score now. So, whether that be on the counter or whether that be them deciding to open it up in some way, uh, and we'll see how Pep responds because they may have. I don't know if Manchester City will have to be different in some way as well. Didn't Graham Hunter say to us, and I think he's the person I have in mind with what I just just said there about them kind of changing their their tactics. Didn't Graham say that this was a really big opportunity for this squad to win a Champions League? I think he said that at the start of the season. I don't feel that's going to happen now, though. No, they got a, they're in a tough position right now, certainly. Uh, JJ, Benfica and Liverpool, 3-1. Uh, Liverpool take it and are now in excellent position to advance to uh, another Champions League semifinals. Yeah, good, uh, good away performance with a few shaky moments. Um, I thought Trent Alexander-Arnold's passing at times was just... Was great, yeah. I was at a nine-a-side game last night in Brooklyn Bridge Park and there's a player on our nine-a-side team and his name's Mike Guzman and he played at a decent level. Watching him pass the ball is just a joy. And you know what he said after the game? Sometimes I hit one. And he wasn't being boastful. He just said, sometimes I hit one and I admire it. Like I stand there. I don't move. And I thought, yeah, that's what happens with... He the, wasn't being boastful. No, Because you could see how one might take it that way. <laughs> I can absolutely see that, but I knew the intonation in his voice and the, the kind of... He says when he pings it, it's just like you love watching it. And it was more of a... Like was, that sentence to me sounds a lot like sometimes I'll just like come out of the shower and stand in front of a full-length mirror and just admire it. Yeah. Not being boastful. <laughs> just is what it is. That's not what... I, you have to... He was communicating a, a, a joyous feeling rather than saying... You know, hey, watch me, bro. Look at this. You know, it wasn't like that. And, yeah. But I do feel like that when I watch uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold as well. It's like I wouldn't be able to make a supporting run after I've hit a pass like that. I would be just, I would be like, who is it? Narcissus staring at his own uh, reflection in the pool of water. There you go, yeah. yeah. Um, JJ, we haven't talked a ton about this player, but um, I think we have to now because this was probably his best performance with Liverpool to date. Uh, Luis Diaz, what a signing this has turned out to be. Uh, brilliant. And it's a real 
punch in the face for all of those who think it takes time to come into an English club and, and, and settle in because he's just hit the ground running. Uh, Champions League statistics, uh, nine appearances, three goals, one assist. Uh, he's just been generally really, really good. And well, across the whole season, he's up to 21 goals, five assists. Yeah, it's for pretty, both his clubs. Both this clubs, year. yeah. And he got, you know, obviously he got dogs abuse scoring at Benfica, yeah. being a Porto, Porto player. Just stay away from the crowd. Don't go near them. <laughs> Try and avoid it at all costs. Yeah, was that him at the end of the game? You could see from the camera. I think it was him that somebody launched something they at him. Whip, I don't know what that it was. was. It, it looked like a flag stick or yeah, something? Yeah, it looked like a flag stick. Some kind of a rod. Yeah. <laughs> Just. Right, and the camera's right there, no, dude. The, the guy's got a mask on as well. You know, yeah. he's like... You know, he's health conscious, but not of other people. No, certainly not. And he just whips a rod at him, yeah. Um, I don't... Uh, I mean, that's becoming way more common. Remember in exactly almost the same position in MLS Cup Final in Portland where the guy ch- uh, tossed a beer? Oh, yeah. You know, it's... Um, but what was I going to say? Um, he reminds me of a, a UFC fighter. like a, In what, his appearance? Like a 150-pound... Like, he's, he's really scrawny and skinny and just... Uh, He's been brilliant since he came in, and again, so far, just Jota, Diaz, Kanate, uh, who scored as well, the signings. Yeah, Kanate, though, was a another one of those examples of how this sport will humble you. Oh, yeah, definitely. He, he scored, which was great for him, first Champions League goal, and then he handed, I mean, he, he mended a goal to Benfica. Yeah. Um, so, but in the end, they win 3-1, so he can he can survive it in a and, way that Mendy could not. And that one going back to Anfield certainly feels over, although I don't want to tempt fate. Uh, two quick ones on this before we move off of it. Uh, first, while we were talking about Luis Diaz, so I don't necessarily know the exact validity of this tweet, but I saw Andrew Wisnowski tweet something that to me was so astounding I wanted to read it Oh, uh, he said it uh, in talking about Diaz he said an MLS team refused to improve their bid above $2 million for Luis Diaz when he was playing in Colombia he went to Porto the next year for around $8 million, a price well within an MLS's, MLS club's uh, price range Porto sold him to Liverpool for $49.5 million scouting and player evaluation matters yeah it does, I mean they, they got it wrong uh, he would have been in completely I mean, would not what, go above two million. What would for him. he? What would he have done in MLS? I mean, he'd be like the, the fact he can, whatever you think Joseph Martinez. He is. Would, oh, he would have blown that out of the way. <laughs> would he would have laid waste to it? And for his career, wasn't it good that he skipped that step? He got straight to Porto, and now he's at Liverpool twice as quick. By the way, Andrew Wisnowski, who is got he's got knowledge of these kind of dealings yeah. and stuff like that. I want to talk about another Andrew, Tottenham. Tottenham were in for Diaz. Yeah, I know, and it's and there's this, I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory, but I guess truthers on this will believe that Tottenham's interest in Diaz is what accelerated Liverpool to buy him in January as opposed to waiting till the summer. Mm. I think uh, maybe Liverpool's uh-huh. interest in or Diaz's interest in playing for a really good team probably accelerated that too as well. Yeah, he didn't want to wait and go to Tottenham. He wouldn't know if Tottenham would be in the Champions League or not. He's not going to leave Champions League to go to a team that's not in the Champions League. Uh, Last note on this one for me, JJ. Just another sign of Liverpool's depth and how good they are that they can pull Salah and Mane off in the 60th, and here comes Jota and Firmino. And it's just like, if you're Benfica, it's just like, God almighty. when does it end? Yeah, and it's been a slow kind of like over... Like that's not Origi coming on anymore. No, over a couple of windows, Liverpool have 
all right, we'll sort the centre backs out. Let's get, I mean, centre backs being fit has helped. Gomez being fit, Van Dyke being fit, everything. Right. But we'll get Konate in as well, really, you know. And under the radar, finally slide Shakiri out. Jota's come in, Diaz has come in, and the overall picture changes. It's, and, and that's what's happened. Uh, have they, you know, I suppose Naby Keita as well. Naby Keita is beginning to hit a bit of form. They're healthy. Big difference. This is what they look. They could be when they're healthy. Didn't feel like that this last year. They this, were not this time last year. Right and now they are. Uh, finally, in the Champions League, JJ Villarreal and Bayern Munich. I mean, we saved this one for last. It's probably the most stunning result of all of them. Villarreal one nil victors over Bayern Munich. Should have been more. They do, Andrew. They do what Salzburg could not, and they hold on to that one goal lead. Now, in the end, for Salzburg, it, did, it wouldn't have mattered. We'll see what happens as this goes back to the Allianz Arena for the second leg, but. Nearly 2-0, uh, if not for an offside through VAR on what would have been a gorgeous chip of Neuer. Um, oh, so unlucky. And Bayern Munich, their Champions League record 22-game road unbeaten streak. Snapped. Gone. The last home team to defeat Bayern Munich in the Champions League was PSG all the way back in September of 2017. By the way, PSG's manager that night. In 20... In 2017. It was Unai Emery, who was Villarreal's manager tonight. <laughs> Love stuff like that. It gives me goosebumps. Um, Michael Goodman had, had some interesting tweets on this. Bayern didn't really mi- really so much miss chances as Villarreal kept them from get- getting many good ones. That's absolutely true. I think there was the Coleman run slid in Lewandowski, and it uh, Lewandowski just couldn't finish it. 13 of Bayern's 22 shots were outside the box. They're somewhere between 65 to 70% of their shots in the box on the season. So keeping them out, Emery is a much better coach than we than we've ever given him credit for because of what happened at Arsenal. It it's it's one of those things where it it could have been I don't know maybe this isn't fair to say it but Arsenal were in a horrible position during that time. It could have been anyone potentially who was managing them during those years that that struggled. It could have been Sir Alex. Who knows? Yeah, I think you're probably right. And the club behind the scenes, as we've since found out, was in a mess. Uh, one thing, Alfonso Davies, great kind of being able to get a good look at him back in the Champions League action. Yeah. He made one unbelievable block for one of Moreno's chances, where he slids in last minute as Moreno's about to pull the trigger. So good. The recovery, the, the, the sense of danger brilliant he may not have been as effective in the opposition penalty box I mean he wasn't he dragged two shots wide but um, that was a brilliant and crucial moment for uh, for Bayern Munich because this should have been much much worse they hit the post too right Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk more about Alfonso Davies in a couple minutes from now Um, let's see JJ before we get to Christian Jack and our Canada in the club a couple other quickies here Um, we recorded the other day before the Arsenal match and we were kind of we were almost dismissive of it. You know, oh, we'll see what happens later today. But in my head, I was kind of thinking, yeah, Arsenal should probably win that. Crystal Palace are fine, but you know, Arsenal, there's more at stake. 3-0. They got blasted. Mikel Arteta afterwards. How about this quote? Uh, we weren't at the races today, and especially in the first half, we were late to every ball. We were soft in the duels, and we didn't earn the right to play. That's uh, from a guy who's not from really that school he's from the Pep Guardiola school earning the right to play I haven't heard that one in a while uh-huh. but that's just where you have to just match them for effort and physicality uh, Arsblog was saying it was such a depressing result just can't have it and now there's the confluence of injuries with Tierney and done for the season yeah, most likely yeah 
and probably going to miss Scotland's World Cup qualifier. Yep. It's uh, it's tough now. It's advantage Tottenham. It's on now. Tottenham now, I mean, look, there's a lot of games left, but they do control their own destiny. Now, here's the thing about Tottenham. Like, I think one thing that we have now definitively learned, we knew this for a while, but it's worth repeating. One thing we know about this race is that None of these teams are good enough to win all the games that you think they should win. No. Okay? None of them. This ain't the title race. This ain't City and Liverpool who are machines and just beat everybody that's put in front of them. These are flawed teams. And it's honestly, it's it's what's made this race so much fun because it's the unpredictability of it. Tottenham yeah. were dead and buried a month ago. Now they've now they're scoring goals like they're free throws. So that's what's made this fun, but like no one should be feeling good. Well, I take that back. Tottenham fans should definitely be feeling good right now because they're scoring a lot of goals. They're playing fun brand of football, and they've they've won what is it five of their last six. Um, you know, so f- certainly feel good, but know that like this is not going to be a straight line path to the the top four. There are twists and turns all over this battle, which which will make it fun. Well, quickly we'll get to Christian Jack next, but the the thing I was going to bring up to you, JJ, while we're talking about Tottenham. Um, I meant to say this the other day. You did it again. Uh, you did it again. What they do? You can't help yourself, and it's disgusting. What's wrong? Uh, so I once again had DVR'd Tottenham. Uh, oh, it was wow. it was an eleven thirty a.m. kickoff, and my phone buzzes at about one eleven. I think it was right, and it's you, and says, "So how's your day going?" Yeah. Why in the world would anyone ever send that message? out of no you've never sent me that message on a normal tuesday just hey just checking in how's your day going immediately i text I, you this morning just to see or this afternoon just see how you got never when once you took, when in you the took, history you took your son jack to the doctor i checked in right because you knew i was taking my son to the doctor so what? you didn't have a clue in hell I was asking what you, i was were doing you having a nice day no you knew that tottenham were scoring goals for fun and you were let that was your way of letting me know and Again, I just have to say it to you because no, it's just, not I'm gonna sinking stop texting in. You. Yes, that's it. How many times do I have to say it? Right. Never text me during a Tottenham game. Just know that. There's no need to be a about it. You're the guy that I text. I'm going to keep swearing now because you'll have to edit it. You're the guy that I text when things are happening for Tottenham. You're my, Even though you're not a Tottenham fan, I, I don't, you're the guy I text. You'll know when I'm watching because I'll text you. All right. I just Can't hit. this just be the policy moving forward? You have to send the I message. I feel like it inhibits our dialogue as as podcasters. I always text you. I know. Always. There's always dialogue. Wow. Just for them, for any other game. Even though I DVR a bunch of games, but those are the ones, the Tottenham ones are the ones where I don't I want to know the I think you're being a about this. Click F8, mark the spot. Um <laughs> Any other game, text me whatever you want, but just for them, allow me to send the first message. All right. I'll uh, make the first message. All right. Move. Can I say something nice? Sure. I was very proud of the way you sent me a terrible, awful, awfully executed corner the other day. I really <laughs> enjoyed that. That was great. I love bad, mundane things in football, like bad corners. It was the Red Bulls, right? Yeah. It I was shocking. Was going on. Oh, it, it should have been a line drive. Guy shanks it. Followed by another shank, just a waste, complete waste. Before we get to Christian Jack, oh my god, oh my this poor god. guy has been—it's not his fault. Um, it's just breaking news. I say breaking today, according to our own Mark Ogden and Rob Dawson. Manchester United are set to finalise the appointment of Eric Ten Hag as the club's mm. next manager. Sources have told ESPN Ten Hag, 52, was interviewed by United last month, had been on a four-man shortlist alongside 
Paris Saint-Germain's Mauricio Pochettino, Spain coach Luis Enrique and Sevilla's Julian Lopetegui. Chelsea's Thomas Tuchel and Bayern Munich's Julian Nagelsmann were ruled out as being unattainable due to their commitment to their present employers. Sources in England and the Netherlands have told ESPN that United have settled on Ten Hag as their new manager and that the Ajax manager is ready to leave the Dutch champions to take charge at Old Trafford at the end of the season. So that's interesting. Miguel Delaney, this morning, before this report came out, had had uh, put out an article saying that United, the United board had not been convinced by Ten Hag's interview mm. and they still had reservations. Um, I think Pochettino too expensive. I think the other options were not happening. Luis Enrique is not not leaving, happening. Not no. happening. That Nagelsmann would have been prohibitively expensive, and um, I think uh, Ten Hag is getting this job. I think if the structures are allowed to change, and if, as Miguel reported, the five-year plan, because it is going to be five years that Ten Hag wants is seen through, this is a good appointment. He can change the club. I think so too. But they have to let him work in the same way Pochettino, in the same way Guardiola, and the same way Klopp were allowed to work at their respective clubs when they came to England. If they don't do that, forget about it. That's certainly a big deal. Uh, we'll have more on that when that actually becomes official, certainly. Because that's that would be a significant, uh, significant move, Manchester United naming him as their manager. I'll tell you what, though. It's time. We've been talking about it. Let's do this. Go, 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 go. Oh, in the club. International style. That's right. That is right. This might be a first going in the club international style, but it's a World Cup year. So I'm sure this will be the first of many. And what a great place to start, JJ. Canada just topped CONCACAF World Cup qualifying and they're Heading to their first World Cup since 1986. So how did we get here? What should be expected come November to help answer some of these questions and more? We're joined now by Christian Jack, broadcaster from One Soccer in Canada. Christian, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great, fellas. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing well. We're doing well. We're, um, we've been enjoying Canada's rise. I know there are people who, who will listen to this and know how U.S.-centric we are and won't believe me when I say that, but I, I swear it's true. It has been fun to watch. It is a fun... It's new, true for me, Christian, anyway. It's a fun yes. new rivalry, honestly, that is developed within CONCACAF, and I think it's great for the region for there to be as many high-quality teams as possible. So let's talk about Canada and how they got to this point. And I guess you know the first place to start would be for those like yourself. You've been following this team for years and years, obviously. This rise for the Canadian national team, was this out of the blue, or, or could you feel this coming? Well, I think it's I think it's more out of the blue. Uh, first of all, it's great to hear you guys talk about you know you're happy about it. I think it's quite common and it's a bit unusual at the moment in the region. But we, when I was talking to Greg Berhalter ahead of the game in Hamilton in January, he kind of said the same thing. Remember, he was talking about it's good for us. We want Canada to get there as well, just not beat the U.S. and it's a good rivalry. And there's not there's not you know right now it's that friendly rivalry. Even Herdman and Berhalter kind of get along well and, and compare notes in the Concacaf region. I don't think that'll be the case if these teams are competitive for a decade. That's what sports does. But right now it's a friendly rivalry, so we'll take it. Uh, so I, th- I think to answer your question, it's a re- and it's a really good one, Andrew. I think it's more out of the blue. I think you know we could talk about some, 
you know, I could sit here and, and, and explain to you that maybe there's some elements of the of the fact that now we've got a domestic league, which we do have, and I'm, I'm privileged to work for the Canadian Premier League up here in Canada as well. But that has come along very quickly. We're only in our fourth year, just kicking off this weekend. That's not really ignited the, 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 the pathway of players getting to the national team yet, although it will certainly help going forward. Major League Soccer's academies have certainly helped that here in Toronto, Vancouver and Montreal, but not dramatically. It has certainly helps that they're given competitive minutes and, and given those ability to train on a regular basis in a professional environment. And some players like Richie Larea, Jonathan Azorio, Max Cropo, and many others of this national team have certainly helped with that. But let's be, let's be honest, you know, it's the true elite players here, you know, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, uh, Tejon Buchanan, Atiba Hutchinson, Kyle Lahren, players that are now all playing in Europe that have really, I think, elevated this program, along with, you know, more dedication to the cause and, and making it more professional, which comes from the very top with John Herbman and Canada Soccer. Christian, um, I want to take you back a little bit because I do want to talk about John Herbman. There's no, you can't deny the effect that he's had on this program, on this team. But I want to go back a little bit to, um, to a podcast I listened to last year, Mark Bircham a former Canadian international was on. And of course he is entitled to play for Canada. His connections to the country were, were tenuous, but he, he spoke about how fun it was going to play with Canada. And then he said, when they started to take it serious, it wasn't as good for me. Now that is a, obviously a personal opinion, but was there a point in time saying the last 20, 15 years where the, Canadian soccer program said, listen, we, we got to roll our sleeves up here and, and, and make some make some inroads. Well, you know, I think there's a level of seriousness that Bertram is talking about. And then there's a level of real professionalism that came with Herdman. Right. So, uh, you know, Canada soccer obviously won, you know, Canada won the Gold Cup in, in 2000. And that was a big symbolic moment. Uh, and then, you know, I, I moved here actually that year. And so I've been here over 20 years covering it now. And yeah, it wasn't really a moment that they built off. You know, they struggled a lot of times and, and, and woke up qualifiers. They didn't get to the final round of that. So, you know, I don't think the real seriousness kicked in until Herdman took over, really, in that level of professionalism behind the scenes. You know, there's a big moment here in this country where we talk about, you know, Honduras 8, Canada 1, and that disaster when they tried to get to last World Cup qualifying, you know, a decade ago. And was that a moment that really turned turned it around? It, it really wasn't. You know, they didn't really continue to kick on from that. So, right. you know, you know, you know, I took, and I think the best reference point on these guys, these, these answers, really, guys, uh, players like Milan Boyan, Jonathan Azorio, Samuel Piet, who have been with this program for the best part of a decade and seen what it was prior and now know what it is now and what John Herbman came in and said, we need to be able to build around this, this, this team and make it more professionalism because we all know the international game and the club game are very different sports, really. You know, if they were created tomorrow, they may even call them something differently in this great sport that we love. It's just a fact. You know, the club game and how fast-paced it is and how professional it is now has got all the best coaches in the world training on a daily basis. And the international game has got this wonderful ability to bring people together like nothing else but really the quality of this of the game is a lot less than it is at the club level um and, and behind the scenes a lot of those countries struggle because of infrastructure and professionalism and so what Canada soccer said and really buoyed on by the likes of Atiba Hutchinson Alfonso Davies and many others that were working in these unbelievable environments in Europe said look if you want us to succeed you got to make it as professional as it comes everything you've got to do it for us you've got to be able to take care of us and so I think that was the moment when Herdman took over in 2018 to make sure that they could try and make the best out of what was a, a developing squad at that time so, so Christian it, this is a structural um, achievement by Herdman rather than maybe him being this great tactical wizard or well, is I think it both? It, 
it goes hand in hand, but I think the structure and the pathway had to start first. He, you know, he had to get these men to believe. And these players have told me, you know, this guy comes in, and again, we have to mention it for those who don't know. He came in from the women's team who were, they got back-to-back bronze medals in the Olympics and he did everything he could with that team and they galvanized the group and they got a bunch of people in this country to get behind them. And he's a builder and he loves that and he felt like he'd achieved everything he could. And Canada Soccer thought, okay, do we make him a men's ma- ma- national team manager or do we lose him to somewhere else around the world? And they brought him in. It was a big gamble. Now, you don't see that. You guys know this. You know the sport so well. How many teams do you see bring in a women's team coach into the men's national team? It just doesn't happen. In fact, he's the first manager ever to guide a team to the men's World Cup and the women's World Cup. So he brings him over and then he says, you know, I've got to get this group to believe. So he doesn't start with the next game. He doesn't start with their first camp in Mercia, Spain in 2018 and a friendly against New Zealand. He starts with the game that we just saw. He starts with match day 14 in the World Cup qualifiers, the last game. And he says, we are going to qualify for the World Cup. How are we going to do it? And some players have said to me and said, you know, the we're not going to believe this guy, you know, but he, he instilled the belief and he convinced them. So that is the structure that you talk about JJ. And then afterwards, once he got them to buy in and believe, because players are very selfish, how, what can you do for me? That's what ultimately they're looking at. And eventually you go, okay, this guy's into it. He can help me. Then the, the tactics started to come after that. And how do they protect the defense, which was the weaker part of the team and go from a three to a four and change on the fly, different tactics they did in it, particularly in the gold cup. So that all followed afterwards, but it was about bringing structure and belief first. Christian, you, you talk about Herdman making the move from the women's national team to the men's. It's very interesting to me. And I'm curious the reaction to that in Canada when that decision was made, was there skepticism or because of the familiarity with him and the success he had with the women's team, were people pretty open and receptive to it? It's a great question. I, I would say the casual fan were pretty open and, and oh yeah, he's just guided us to, you know, World Cup quarterfinal at home in 2015, back to back bronze medals. Of course he can do that. But the skepticism came from people who completely really close to the game me included, mm. by the way, you know, and, and, and I make no apologies for that. The players who were in that squad, the members of the media, we all, we had no historical reference points to say, yes, this is going to work. You know, Canada soccer, you know, we're, we're on the verge of being a laughing stock. Oh, here we go again. You know, now they've got rid of Zambrano for no reason. I thought they were rebuilding again. Here comes another rebuild. It's just out of the blue. Oh, they're going to bring Herdman over. Okay, what's next? You know, it was not, okay, yeah, this is the man to guide them to the 2022 World Cup. By then it was all, what can they do to get their, you know, get their, their act together for 2026. They're hosting World Cups in 2026. Can they not be a laughing stock for that World Cup? There's never a thought that they were going to make it to get close to the 2022 World Cup. And also, by the way, at that point, you know, CONCACAF wasn't even looking like they were going to give them a chance either. You remember before COVID, the World Cup structure of qualifying was top six in the rankings. You guys are going to the hex. Everybody else has got to go in this, you know, repechage tournament where you've got to play everybody else for 14 games and try and get to a playoff. Canada was going to be in that. The only way, the only reason why it changed was because they had to change the structure of qualifying because of COVID. And suddenly Canada got a lifeline and uh, door was a little bit open and they barged it through. Now we know that soccer is never just about one player but we often get dragged into these narratives of, of, of one-man teams. Something that's been impressive for me about this Canada team is that they can get it done without Alfonso Davies. This team is able to absorb losses. Is there a player in your mind, Christian, that if he's not on the field, and I'm one player in particular that maybe it's not obvious to everyone, that if he's out of this Canada team, they don't function as well? Is there a guy who brings it all together? Yeah, for me, it's Stefan Astakio. 
Uh, I think he's the best player. He was the best player in the World Cup qualifiers consistently for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I said to him when I interviewed him on the pitch in the celebrations at BMO Field, I, I, Canada's waited for years for a player like you. You know, and, and, and that's the, 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 the midfield dynamism, dynamism about this player that he does a little bit of everything. He can play he can play as a six and read the game really well and break up play very good. But he's that deep lying playmaker. Like I'm going to compare him to a player now that, and I've compared him like this before. And I'm not for any sake going to say he's that kind of player because he's not a world class player. We know, but he's a Xabi Alonso kind of player. You know, right. what Xabi Alonso brought to Spain was that bit of grip a winning mentality, but could, you know, could run a game from a deep position in midfield with his passing ability and with his brain. And that's what Astakio does. And his, his ability also like Xabi Alonso from dead balls is absolutely, is really special and made a big difference. You know, you think about that ball he, he played in for Kyle Lahren to score that second goal against Mexico when we're in Edmonton, changed the entire qualification process. That game, that, that goal won them the match. So I think Astakio, when he's not there, Canada does not have another player like that. Not even close. It's a play central midfield. And we could go on about David and Lauren and Davies mm-hmm. and so many other players. There's been so many great players in this team and Larea and Johnston. But for me, to answer your question, another great question, it has to be him. Well, Chris, when you say we can go on about some of these other players like Davies. So let's do that. Let, let's go on for a sec about <laughs> Alfonso Davies. Um, CONCACAF player of the year. Obviously, he missed a good chunk of qualifying in Canada. We're, like you said, we're pretty much fine without him. But bigger picture, in a grander scale, you know, on our podcast, we talk a lot about Christian Pulisic, who, mm. while he was by no means the first American player to, to thrive in Europe, his performances at big clubs, Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea, it felt like it, it in some ways has opened a pathway for big clubs to now think of American players differently than they may have before. Alfonso Davies on maybe even a bigger scale at Bayern Munich and the success he's had there. Has he done the same for Canadian players? Is he opening doorways that were closed previously? 100%. Absolutely no doubt about it. You know, I've spoke to many people who scouted Davies when he was at the Whitecaps um, and he was, you know, you know, very, very close to Arsenal, very, very close to PSG. But by then, they're about two weeks behind Bayern Munich. And when Bayern Munich took him, nobody really thought he was going to turn into this legitimate superstar, right? You can make an argument he's the best best player in his position in the world at left back, uh, already a Champions League winner at the age of 20. So suddenly people are going, hang on, there's this untapped market now. Of the, you know, what, what else do we, what else, where else can we go to find these kind of players? Uh, Jonathan David, I think, has benefited a little bit from that. You know, particularly when he did his, he got his move, I think, a little bit earlier from Belgium to France, a little bit based on the back of Alfonso. I certainly think it helped him, even though their pathways are very, very different, of course. Uh, Jonathan David, you know, through Haiti and then US, of course. Um, But, you know, now, you know, these academies over here are getting talked about all the time with players. You know, agents are getting called all the time. You know, Richie Larea got to move to Nottingham Forest because I think because people are starting to scout players over here a little bit more and particularly look at the MLS market. I don't think it's just a, a win-win for Canada. I think it's a win-win for, for all of us over here on this continent. Uh, Pulisic is a great example. Um, you know, I'm an enormous fan of him. I, I just want to throw it out there. I think he's an absolute superstar. And I think you guys with him and McKenney, I think mentally these guys are going to carry the U.S. somewhere where they've never been before. I love the fact that your nation is a true football culture nation where these guys can get ripped. And then the first people they put up in a press conference is these two and they're answering back and then they're delivering on, a pit, on, on the pitch. And that's where we need to get to in this country, by the way. It's a little tangent. But my point being is, I think, yes, Davies has definitely turned, you know, 
scouts onto this country. And now you've got players like, you know, Ishmael Kone who's playing for CF Montreal and has only played literally a handful of professional games, plays for Canada, and suddenly scouts are clamoring all over him to look at this player at 19 years old. Christian, I suppose to take you down this tangent a little bit, what is the atmosphere like on the streets in the cities and the small towns of Canada? Has this made an impact, this qualification? Yeah, unquestionably. You know, we did the broadcast for the, for the Jamaica game on, sun, on the, you know, a couple of Sundays ago. You know, we, 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 we had over 1.5 million people watching, which is an enormous number in this country. You know, you know, you think about we're a country less than 40 million people. You know, that's a massive number. You know, I've had mm. the privilege of doing World Cups on TSN and, you know, we would get two to three million for a World Cup final. You know, we're going to get more than that now for Canada games in the World Cup. Now they've been drawn obviously into Group F. So it's going to be exciting. There's no doubt about it. This is a, a country full of, you know, different cultures you know this is what makes Canada special people from different places and I always had that mandate when I've done football over here is that you know I was doing World Cups with TSN saying this is not like doing a World Cup in another country we've got 32 countries here and everybody in our country is from one of these countries and they know them Um, and so there's always been a massive passion for the sport in this country but it's never really been about around the men's team it's about you know you've had little Italy or little Portugal or Greece or England or it doesn't matter there's been so many people because of their ancestry or their backgrounds supporting different countries and they still will but now that this team has legitimized themselves because even though you know those fans that have come from those countries they've always had this little snobbery and i guess they're entitled to it oh you know canada soccer i don't follow them because they're not very good but yeah. now what what alfonso davies jonathan david all these other people have done they're performing in europe in the champions league and suddenly the switch has gone on in their head and go well hang on a minute yeah they are yeah they're not just winning and they're getting to a world cup now i'm actually seeing players that are playing where I believe the best football is played. So the snobs are getting turned around as well, if you're with me. So <laughs> it's going to be, it's, it's great because the casual fans are catching on and the highest end of, of football fans in this country have, uh, have bought in as well. So it's going to be a very special World Cup. Yeah, Christian, that's my final one for you. It's about the World Cup. And, uh, you know, there, there's not necessarily a group of death in this World Cup, but if there was, you could make a case that Canada are in it. Now we're still a long way off. You know, who knows what injuries will be out there for other teams and all that, but in terms of Canada and expectations, what would be a good World Cup for this team? Well, first of all, they have to score a goal because they've never scored a goal in the World Cup. They went there in 1986 <laughs> and didn't score one. That's an, an, an enormous part of what has to happen next. We'll start there. It's a low expectation, but we'll start there. Uh, and then, I, you know, after that, I, I think that they, you know, they would love to get through the group. You know, there's no doubt about that. Uh, history tells you that for teams in pot four generally don't make it through the group very often. In fact, there's only one team last time that did that and they got through on fair play, uh, you know, fair play points, I think over Senegal, that was Japan. So it doesn't happen a lot, but you know, the, you mentioned it, you know, Belgium, Croatia, Morocco is tough. We don't know about Morocco yet. You know, there's a lot of our people, you know, they've got a coach who's already been fired twice before World Cups in the past when he's taken countries there. So we'll see what happens and how they show up. Uh, but Canada have got Belgium first and then Croatia next. If they lose both those games, the chances are they're probably not going to get through. So, you know, Belgium's going to be tough. But I think in Croatia, and then we all know the stars, they've got a chance. I think that's all they ever ask for is give us a chance. Um, and so, you know, depending on what you wanted, right? I think a lot of people here were back and forth. Do we want that true Goliath? Do they want an England, a Brazil, a Messi? They didn't get that. They got a Belgium who were pretty good with De Bruyne and others. Uh, and so, look, I think if they can try and get through the group and be competitive, 
uh, that will be important. And as I said, you know, try and stay in it into that third game. Continue that storyline as long as possible because if they go to that third game and they're already out, you know, the air will go out the balloon a little bit. I'm excited for this, Andrew. I don't know about you. I I feel like yeah. I've got two rooting interests now. Mother. Yeah, I know. Welcome I know. on board, boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kristen, we appreciate your time. This is fascinating. Like I said, genuinely, Canada's rise over the last couple of years and through qualifying specifically has been fun to watch. And we look forward to watching it more this November in Qatar. Christian Jack, one soccer in Canada. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Pleasure to be on with you guys. Keep up the great work. I'll be listening. Oh, wow. Well, good stuff with Christian Jack. And I mean it. I'm, I'm, I got really into Canada during this qualification process. Um, that game against Mexico in Edmonton was wild, yeah, absolutely wild. And I, I think that they they play an effective brand of football, and I'm curious to see how that translates against the cream of the crop, uh, Belgium, you know, Croatia. It's a big ask, but they're there, and the fact they didn't expect to me expect to be there is is a very nice kind of little side note to it yeah uh so our thanks again christian jack from one soccer in canada that was uh, that was really cool um going deep on canada jj uh before we get out finally i have two quick ones for you obviously this weekend manchester city and liverpool oh my god good lord oh my god i mean this is i've a- closed the day off yeah my girlfriend have, have to my, my have girlfriend to. said to me i know we're not doing anything sunday well, we're not potential I mean, potential title decider. Call it what it is. There's enough games that it could swing other ways afterwards, but this is the big but one. But they, again, this is not the top four. This is Th- to, this. These teams don't lose. This is to give advantage to someone. Big advantage. Huge. So, yeah, that obviously. Also, El Trafico this weekend um, in Carson. LAFC have been excellent so far. Um, adding to the intrigue of this, Vela and Chicharito going head-to-head. Same city. Same nationality, both in top form right now. Chicharito, four goals so far this season. Vela, four goals, two assists. Um, I saw at MLSsoccer.com, Matt Doyle did kind of like a mailbag thing on a bunch of different topics. And one of them was about Vela's contract situation, which expires at the end of June, I think. And Matt Doyle says uh, he, he would not extend him, at least not on a designated player contract. That the really? injury, He said this is a guy who started 19 of 56 regular season games in uh, 2020 and 2021. Nine goals and seven assists over those two years. He's 34. The concerns are too great to invest that kind of money in a player with that sort of injury. He's 34 history. next year, yeah. Okay, so it's a tough call because he's looks he looks like him again, the Vela that we saw a few years ago. Um, and so are you going to punt on you know a possible championship season because of how the back end of a contract might appear now the other thing you could say is it's lafc you know they're they're going to be aggressive and they'll have designated player spots so those spots will get filled but and vela is not a known quantity right now because of his injury situation so boy it's a tough one i think ah, I, i i'm weak so i would probably give him the money but I can understand why there would be those who might feel differently. I would feel like Chirundlo wants to keep him, though. Yeah, he because I'm sure he would want to. He's not building for tomorrow. No. 
He he's wants got, to he's win got, right now. He's got and, a, and he sees and look how they're flying right now in the West. So yeah, he, of course he doesn't want to mess with a good thing. Uh, and then finally, last one for me. Didn't have a mailbag this week, but I saw one DM that we got that I wanted to address from at Bill C with a lots lots of ease. Oh boy, he says love your podcast. One thing I didn't hear you mention regarding U.S. men's national team is we had significant injuries for much of qualifying. We never saw all of Pulisic, McKinney, Reyna, Adams, Musa, Weah, Aronson playing at once. I wanted to address it because it's a great point. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people who were listening to our World Cup coverage probably thought that we were giving that short trip, that we weren't talking about that enough. Here's why we're not talking about that enough. Because every country in the world's national team is dealing with that. Yeah. And in a World Cup year where we talked the other day, JJ, club football is going to be bumping right up against the start of the World Cup. Guess what? Not going to have our team for that no, either. No, you can All expect right? some guys that you really like aren't going to play. Just start wrapping your mind around that now. Canada just topped the group. Where was Alfonso Davies the last few months? Right. So other nations were able to handle it. And by the way, the U.S. handled it too. We qualified. So they they handled it. New guys stepped in. We now know, okay, Luca De La Torre, really nice player. So we learned a lot about this team. But for those saying, yeah, you can't, can't fully judge them because a lot of guys were hurt, that's reality. It doesn't work like that. And it's and it's going to be like that come November. I hate to say it. I hope I'm wrong, but I won't be. Someone's going to be missing out that you wish was there. That's just the way it is. Wow. So there you go, JJ. That was one hell of a pod. This was a lot of fun. What a, an, an incredible uh, set of midweek fixtures we saw this week. Loved it. Superb. Yep. Absolutely superb. I, I feel drained after this day. I hope the weekend looks a lot like this as well. Some really high-profile stuff. I know you're already nervous for, oh, for the game ab- you oh, got. I'm so, pumped. Yeah. I'm absolutely pumped. It's uh, it's a cup final right in the middle of the league. Yeah. Well, this was this was a ton of fun. We'll, of course, be back with more next week. JJ, to you, I say... Take you later, fun boy. See you later, Take man. care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 